I'm Victor Lago, a 26, here I'm, with... I'm Maddie Shaw, a 25. I'm Daphne Feinberg, a 26. And today we're excited and honored to be joined by Stuart Reed. Stuart Reed is an executive editor at Foreign Affairs Magazine and author of the Lumumba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA and a Cold War Assassination. He has written pub for publications including The Atlantic, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Bloomberg Business Week, Politico Magazine, and Slate. Stuart grew up in Ontario and Ohio and received a bachelor's degree in government from Dartmouth College. Thank you very much for being here with us today. It's truly an honor. It's great to be back on campus. Thanks for having me. Of course. So to start us off, we hoped that you might be able to share with our listeners a bit about your personal journey from Dartmouth into the world of international affairs and journalism, ultimately becoming the executive editor of Foreign Affairs. You know, what took you to your current position? So at Dartmouth, I was a government major, super interested in international relations, um, and I was also an editor on the newspaper, the Dartmouth. And so when it came time to look for what to do after Dartmouth, um, I perhaps not very creatively decided to find the intersection of journalism and international relations. And so I applied for a job at Foreign Affairs. Every year we hire an assistant editor and I was lucky enough to get that job and then I've been there ever since. So I have a very straightforward, boring career story in that I, there was this job, I applied for it, I got it, I've been there ever since. Um, and uh, while I've been at Foreign Affairs, I've, you know, my day job is editing, but then I've been able to do writing on the side. Um, you know, first some op-eds and book reviews, then longer magazine articles, and then ultimately this book. So your book, The Lumumba Plot, delves into the secret history of the CIA and a pivotal Cold War assassination. What inspired you to explore this particular subject, and what were some of the most surprising discoveries you made during your research? So it's really happenstance how it all happened. Um, I traveled to Congo in 2014 to write an article for Politico magazine, um, which was focused on the present day, but that got me exposed to the country. I found it, its politics and even just its geography super interesting and captivating. And then I read up on the history, and the more I read, the more I realized there was this great, largely untold story. The Congo crisis was front page of the New York Times every day back in 1960 and 1961, and then it became sort of forgotten, and I had barely heard of it and knew very little about it. And so I realized there was, there was a story to be told, a book to be written. Um, the characters were fascinating. Dog Hammarskjöld, the Secretary General of the UN, Larry Devlin, the CIA Station Chief in Congo, Joseph Mobutu, who would ultimately take power, and of course, Lumumba above all. So this combination of sort of an untold story that people didn't know that much about, the fact that there hadn't been another really good book on the topic, and my own personal interest and obsession, all those led me to write it. Uh, having written for esteemed publications such as Politico and the New York Times, uh, how do you see the role of media in shaping public perceptions of international affairs? And how do you see this landscape as having evolved throughout your career? I mean, I think the big question is how much does the public care about foreign policy? And I think all the evidence suggests that the answer is not that much. However, there is a small subset of the population that really does care about what's happening around the world. And um, I wish it were bigger, but it, it's big enough to sustain a magazine. It's big enough to... Um, 
have a, a book that people will buy. And so um, my goal, both in my job as an editor and in my work as a writer, is to make the foreign accessible. Um, and so it's a complicated world out there. The history, history I write about is complicated, yet I truly believe that everything can be made ex accessible to a smart general interest reader who's not an expert, um, but wants to hear from people with expertise. So that's sort of how I see my career, um, both in terms of my writing and my editing. Um, kind of related to the last question, uh, as the executive editor of Foreign Affairs, you play a crucial role in shaping the magazine's content. How do you decide the topics and issues you choose to cover? And what, in your opinion, makes a piece particularly impactful or relevant in today's global context? So <coughs> I would say things have to be both interesting and important. There are some things that are really interesting but aren't important. And there are some things that are important but not particularly interesting. And so for something to be a viable foreign affairs article, it has to meet both of those criteria. And also it has to be written by someone who actually knows what they're talking about. We really value actual expertise and, and substantive knowledge. We don't want someone sort of faking it through a foreign affairs article. Um, and finally, the author should have something to say, an argument to advance. It, a piece can't just be about a topic. It has to have a purpose and a drive that, you know, something in the world should change and here's how to change it. Or this underappreciated factor is really what's driving such and such a event. Um, and so the, the most successful pieces um, are interesting and important in terms of what they're covering. They have an original argument about that important and interesting topic. And they're written by someone who has authority and standing to weigh in on that. Um, and those are the, the articles that, um, that are, you know, have the biggest impact and, and that are, you know, the most successful. The Lumumba plot seeks to bring to light clandestine American engagement in Congo, a momentous historical event that few seem to be aware of today. From your vantage point, what are some of the most pressing international events today? Uh, perhaps those that have somehow flown also under the radar. And how can a better understanding of history inform our approach to addressing these particular issues? Hmm. Well, neither of these have flown under the radar, but I would say the rise of China obviously is perhaps the most important geopolitical trend we're dealing with today. And then also the resurgence of, of Russia. Um, this is sort of a roundabout way of answering your question, but I've been thinking a lot about the parallels between the Cold War and today, and one of the lessons of the Congo crisis, I think, is to not imagine that your geopolitical rival is 10 feet tall and perfectly capable and active everywhere. America certainly thought the Soviets were in 1960 in the Congo, extremely active, extremely malicious. It turns out they barely cared about the country and didn't have much of an effect at all but you'd never know that from reading cables. And so I think drawing um, a lesson for today, the parallel would be to, you know, there's a lot of hyperventilating about what China and Russia are up to in Africa and the rest of the developing world, um, but a lot of it is more uh, hype than reality, and we should be wary of interpreting every 
event in a given country through that lens of geopolitical rivalry. I was wondering if you could explain some of the differences between writing um, writing on international relations for an academic audience versus a popular one like a magazine like Foreign Affairs. Ideally, there wouldn't be any difference. In practice, there is. Um, and uh, for Foreign Affairs, we sort of are trying to hit that sweet spot of um, you know, academics read it and learn from it and advance arguments that, um, you know, uh, go into combat with each other in our pages. Um, yet there aren't enough, you know, if we only published articles for academics, then we'd have a very small circulation. Um, so I think the goal of all writing should be the same, no matter what it's for, and that's clarity. Um, there is literally no idea that's too complex for the English language. I believe that. Um, and so, yes, you may need to explain, add a paragraph of background, historical background, in order to make a certain argument. That's fine. But everything can be communicated in clear English to uh, a lay audience. So um, in practice, there's a big difference between academic writing and uh, writing for a popular audience. Academics like to use jargon. Um, like to focus on uh, sort of meta aspects of the debate rather than the subject itself. Um, popular writing rejects those things. Um, fortunately, there are enough academics, and they write for foreign affairs all the time, who are interested in speaking to a general audience, or who are interested in communicating clearly. And, and those are our, um, our bread and butter authors. Thank you. Um. As for our next question, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about some of the, the interesting characters that you, you know, discovered in your book. Um, were there any individuals who you believe played a significant role in the story, either before or after the 1960 assassination in D.C. or in Congo, that you might have wanted to highlight more throughout your book, uh, or you know, write another book about, perhaps? Were there any individuals that you learned about through interviews that marked you as you know, particularly striking or with an interesting story hmm. in and of themselves? Yeah, I mean, I focus, in the book, there are sort of four main characters. Lumumba, uh, Joseph Mobutu, later Mobutu Sese Seko, um, Dog Hammarskjöld, and Larry Devlin, the CIA station chief. And um, I had to be fairly strict about kicking other people off stage to focus on those four characters. Um, but yes, there are uh, whole other characters that there could be a separate book about. Um, to give you just one example, there's this CIA official who was um, one of two number twos in the CIA at the time, a guy named Richard Bissell. He um, was behind the U-2 spy program. In my book, he pops up because he was the one who um, played a key role in the poisoning plot um, against Lumumba. And then he also uh, later turned out to be very involved in the Bay of Pigs operation and lost his job because of that fiasco. Um, so you know, he, he, his name gets mentioned, I don't know, a handful of times in my book, but he's this fascinating Cold War character um, who you know, could, could merit his own book. And he wrote memoirs, but they were um, not very revealing and published after his death. And so, um, yeah, that's just one example. Um, while writing your book, did Lumumba uh, himself strike you as a leader with any like um, unique personal qualities that would have 
greatly aided Congo and had he remained in power, altered its history? You know, it's a good question. I, in, in, the, <coughs> in the book, I say that he was Congo's best politician, but perhaps its worst statesman. Um, and what I mean by that is he was incredibly charismatic. He had his finger on the pulse politically. Um, he was extremely popular, got the most votes in, in the democratic elections in the spring of 1960. Um, but he was also somewhat erratic. He changed his uh, stance very quickly. In his defense, he was dealing with rapidly changing events. Um, but I think the fundamental thing that he had, which was is extremely important of any political leader, is that he represented the population and um, was a vehicle for their aspirations and dreams for the Congo. The man who replaced him, Mobutu, was not that at all. And so, um, you know, that is is one of the great tragedies of of the episode I write about is that Congo was denied a leader who actually represented a broad swath of public opinion um, and was he really did care about more than his own political career um, more than his own ethnic group and so on um, so that was his his main uh, redeeming quality I'd say. I had one question about um, a particular episode from your book so there's a scene I think in July 1960 when uh, Lumumba arrives in DC, it's after the Congo has officially received independence, and he, you know, is greeted at the State Department um, by these various officials, and he seems like a very charismatic, you know, personable individual. And yet, kind of after that episode, we see that a lot of politicians in DC, a lot of Americans, kind of get the impression that he, you know, needs to go. He needs to be ousted. He, the, the, his kind of trip to DC really gave them a, a non-favorable impression. I'm curious to know your take on how that happened. Like, how did, you know, the D.C. political establishment just kind of come to this consensus that Lumumba needed to go? Like, was it something that happened during that trip? I was wondering if you could maybe provide a little spoiler to yeah. listeners. I mean, I think the main um, disagreement was substantive, so I'll, I'll talk about that first. And that when Lumumba went back to Congo, um, he threatened to kick out the United Nations. He was sort of playing footsie with the Soviets. And it was those substantive issues that I would say really turned the Americans against him. Um, in DC, there were stylistic things. So he had this meeting at the State Department. Um, what's interesting about that meeting is that the contemporary record suggests that he actually did sort of fine in the meeting. Retrospectively, one of the meeting's participants would claim that Lumumba was, quote, psychotic. Um, there's also an episode that's been um, you know, much told in diplomatic circles about how Lumumba hired a prostitute that was controversial and could not have endeared um, him to his American hosts. Um, but I think, so, so there were these stylistic things. He, he, he rubbed a lot of officials the wrong way, um, but it, that probably wouldn't have been enough to truly turn the Americans against him and to set in motion this bizarre assassination operation against him. You had to also have the substantive disagreement about the United Nations, about the Soviet Union. And I should point out that Lumumba only turned to the Soviets after having been rebuffed by the Americans. 
And just to kind of wrap up, for our listeners who might be aspiring journalists or practitioners in the field of international relations, what advice do you have based on your experiences and also the changing landscape of international security today? And if there was one lesson that you took away from what you've learned so far in your career, what would that look like? I'll choose to answer this by talking about the importance of good writing. Um, it's a rare enough skill that uh, it would be advantageous for anyone to really try and cultivate it. Um, read books about writing, read good writing, whether they be novels or essays or New Yorker articles, um, and just try and pay attention to the sound of your voice on the page and you know, omitting needless words and, and avoiding word repetitions and all those sort of basics of good prose. I think placing a premium on that, um, it's something I love nerding out about and, and thinking about consciously a lot. Um, and it will distinguish you because, you know, as an editor, I get hundreds and hundreds of pitches. Um, and those that are clearly written rise to the top of the pile always. So that it will it will help you in no matter what field you're in. So that would be um, my main piece of advice. All right, so I think with that, um, that concludes our podcast. Thank you very much for joining us on The Outlook today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Of course.